Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report Podcast. And today is October the 12th, 2023. It's been 3,516 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 231 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. During today's podcast, you can use a Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed, and there is a link in the podcast description. We have a lot of updates today. The Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine Morning Reports, Operational Commands North, South and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. There are limited changes from yesterday, so if you want to skip to the next section, I won't even know you did. We maintain the sought response by Ukraine's allies after Russian aggression on Ukraine's border will eventually lead to a significant incident that could result in military intervention. The Ukrainian summer fall counteroffensive is likely reaching its culmination point due to a number of factors, including degrading weather and significant questions about continued military aid from the United States, even though Ukraine still maintains significant combat potential. The removal of the United States Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, has put future Ukrainian military operations at extreme risk. We further assess that the abrupt ending of U.S. military aid will be catastrophic if a resolution is not reached within the next 14 to 21 days. Additionally, Western partners are not meeting their promised military training, including for F-16 pilots, heavy equipment and ammunition delivery dates. And these continued delays are negatively impacting Ukraine's military capabilities. The Kremlin is using the Israel-Hamas war as a distraction in the information space to fracture support for Ukraine further and has engaged in large-scale disinformation campaigns. Additionally, Russia is trying to take advantage of the geopolitical situation that is impacting many of Ukraine's allies by launching large-scale attacks in multiple areas of operation AO, designed to exhaust Ukraine's ammunition reserves faster. We maintain that Russia has started its campaign to destroy Ukraine's energy infrastructure. And while the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously. Today's action report starts in Kharkiv. In the Kupiansko, Russian forces continued their attacks in the direction of Sinkivka from Leman Pershi and east of Ivanivka. 
The intensity of the attacks declined, but there was more armor involved. There were no changes to the line of conflict, and Russian forces continued to suffer significant losses. Moving on to the situation in the Donbass, we start in Luhansk. Nia Svatove, the director of communications for Operational Command East, Ilya Yevlash, reported that Russian forces attacked Novoyehorivka, but did not advance. Russian forces continued attacks east and northeast of Makiivka, with eight clashes reported throughout the day. Near Kremina, intense positional fighting supported by artillery continued in the Serebransky woods, with no change to the situation. Yesterday we wrote, quote, The road out of Kremina is under intense fire control by Ukrainian artillery and drone operators. Russia lost 15 main battle tanks during four attempts to advance in the Torsked direction from Kremina. That's the equivalent of a company completely destroyed and a battalion rendered combat ineffective. But that's only the beginning. In northeastern Donetsk, mutual fighting continued near Kreshchivka and Andreevka, and we can confirm that Ukrainian forces have advanced to the ponds east of Kreshchivka. The war map was updated. The Russian Aerospace Forces, VKS, attacked Ukrainian positions east of Andreevka, and fighting continued near Kurdumevka. During the night, Russian forces shelled the area with incendiary thermite munitions in an attempt to stop the Ukrainian advance. Ukrainian sources report that fighting in southwestern Donetsk is extremely intense. Up to three brigades of the Russian 8th Combined Arms Army have been committed to the attacks in the Avdiivkaio. During a press briefing, the spokesman for the general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine, Andriy Kovalev, said, quote, The occupiers are trying to encircle Avdiivka and try to pull Ukrainian reserves in this direction, in order to weaken the actions of the defense forces of Ukraine. Attacks continued despite catastrophic losses on October the 10th. Russian forces attempted to advance from the approaches of the Krasnohorivka plateau towards Stepove. They were able to approach the railroad tracks, but could not establish new positions, and suffered significant losses. Based on the new intelligence from geolocated videos, we updated the war map and expanded the gray area. Southwest of the Krasnohorivka plateau, Russian forces made 10 attempts to advance toward Avdiivka in the direction of the coke plant and were unsuccessful. The Russian VKS bombed the factory with black acrid smoke drifting into the occupied city of Donetsk. Russian forces made the largest effort since February 2022 in the direction of Severne from Vodyane. The armor advance reached the outskirts of the village, but was repulsed. Russian forces were able to take new positions in the no-man's land, which they had previously occupied over the winter. Russian losses were catastrophic, and neither combatant has been able to maintain control of the tree lines between Severne and Vodyane since the expansion of the Russian war of aggression against Ukraine. Based on the geo-confirmed videos, the war map was updated to show a tactical Russian advance. 
Russian armor also attempted to advance west from Vodyane, parallel to Pervomaiske, suffered losses and ended the attack. So, how catastrophic is catastrophic? Our analysts visually confirm Russia lost 16 main battle tanks and 26 armored vehicles. The equivalent of three battalions rendered combat ineffective. One of our analysts said, quote, the best Ukrainian defense was this Russian offensive. These losses are in addition to the Russian armored column destroyed near Vodyane on October the 10th. If you're wondering, yes, we connect to many videos and pictures in our situation report. Information on how to become a subscriber is in the podcast description. In the Marienka AO, Russian forces continued their attempts to capture Marienka without success. They also made a new attempt to advance toward Pobeda, suffered losses and returned to their previously held defensive positions. Southeast of Vugledar, Russian forces renewed attacks from Mykilske with no change to the situation. Russian forces also attempted to advance on Novomikhailovka and abandoned two modified MTLB armored personnel carriers APCs, after they struck landmines. The modified APCs were part of the Russian 39th Separate Guards Motor Rifle Brigade and first appeared in April 2023. You have to see the pictures of these creations from the second greatest military in the world. Did I mention we have a free trial for subscribers? If you're trying to keep score, let me give you an update. We're up to 31 tanks and 28 armored vehicles visually confirmed destroyed in 24 hours. Northeast of Staromlinivka, Russian forces attempted to advance from Novodonetske in the direction of Zolotaniva without success. In occupied Donetsk, a bridge on the E-50 highway between Horlivka and Yasinovata was destroyed in what appears to have been a JDM-ER glide bomb strike due to the amount of damage. Continuing along the line of conflict, here is today's update for Zaporizhia. Brigadier General Oleksandr Tarnavsky, commander of the Operational Strategic Group of Troops Tavria, reported that Ukrainian forces carried out 1,777 fire missions, hinting that Ukrainian forces may be setting conditions for another offensive push. The Russian VKS carried out 26 airstrikes and 849 artillery fire missions. Despite the amount of ordnance traded, the situation in the Orikhiv AO remained relatively stable. Russian forces counterattacked on the western edge of Verbova, but were unable to clear the trenches Ukrainian troops occupied last month. Ukrainian forces have held their recent advances to the northern edge of Novoprokopivka, where intense fighting continued. General Tarnavsky reported that Ukrainian forces were able to make marginal gains west of Robotene, and we are waiting for visual confirmation to update the map. The International Atomic Energy Agency, IAEA, provided an update on the situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, ZNPP. Inspectors were granted access to the roof of Reactor 2, 
and were able to see the roof of the turbine hall and the rooftops of reactor and turbine halls 1 and 3, where no mines or explosives were observed. Rosatom is still blocking physical access to the roofs of reactor 1, 5 and 6, despite multiple requests since August. The IAEA has been attempting to verify that there are no explosives or heavy weapons present. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi said, quote, After repeated requests in recent months, we were at least able to go to one more reactor rooftop. While this is a step in the right direction, we still need more access to assess adherence to the five principles which were presented and gained support at the United Nations Security Council. We will continue to insist until this is granted." Unquote. Rosatom also continues to prevent an inspection of turbine halls 1 through 6 in a single walkthrough to confirm that Russian troops aren't relocating ammunition or heavy weapons between inspections of single units. The IAEA inspectors reported that on October 10 there were four explosions closer to the plant. Grossi said, quote, Without any doubt, the nuclear safety and security situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains highly precarious. We will continue to do everything we can to help prevent a nuclear accident during the war in Ukraine. Unquote. Reactor 4 remains in hot shutdown to provide steam for plant operations and heat for the adjacent town of Enerhodar. Maintenance work continues on Reactor 6, with maintenance workers finding boron in the secondary steam generator circuit, indicating there is a water leak. Repair work is ongoing and radiation levels remain normal. Water levels are also normal, and an inspection of the perimeter did not show that Russian forces added additional mines or explosives. Radiation monitoring is still done manually, with the results uploaded twice a day. We maintain the risk remains that Russian occupiers could cause an intentional accident at the plant. It's time to talk about the Black Sea, including the countries of Romania and Bulgaria, occupied Crimea and the Mykolaiv and Odessa regions. Operational Command South, OCS, reported there were nine vessels of the Black Sea Fleet on patrol, including one Kilo-class submarine capable of launching four-caliber cruise missiles. There are multiple reports that the Russian patrol boat Pavel Derzhavin struck a mine and has been damaged. The vessel is a Project 22160 vessel commissioned in November 2020. At the time of publication, the spokesman of the Navy of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, Dmytro Platinchuk, reported that the Pavel Derzhavin was damaged. We cannot verify the claim, but in our assessment, the intelligence reports are credible. I will keep you updated as our analysts learn more. Russia continued its attempts to disrupt a growing number of grain and iron ore shipments from three Odessa ports with Shahid-136 kamikaze drone strikes. At least 10 of the Iranian-sourced drones were shot down, with one striking the port of Ismail. Port infrastructure and grain storage were damaged, along with nearby homes.
a pensioner received significant burns and was hospitalized. In Free Kherson, Kherson Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Oleksandr Prokudin said Russia carried out 98 fire missions, firing 500 munitions, rockets, drone-delivered IEDs and bombs. Zarina Zabrisky reported that nine UMPK glide bombs targeted the Kherson area, destroying 20 homes. In Antonivka, a Russian drone struck a hearse at the cemetery during a funeral. Three were wounded, one seriously, and the hearse was destroyed. Is this a new thing? Russian attacks on funerals with drones and missiles. That's what they are doing now? Hmm. Overnight, Russian shelling killed one person and wounded two in Chornobaevka, and wounded a father and daughter in Bilozerka. Russia did Russian things in central and western Ukraine. In Dnipropetrovsk oblast, a Russian missile struck a gymnasium in Nikopol. The building suffered extensive damage and additional strikes damaged 50 homes, 10 businesses, a grocery store, grain storage, 18 farm buildings and 17 solar panels. Four people, all pensioners, were killed in the attack. Russia targeted Cherkasy Oblast with one Shahid-136 kamikaze drone shot down near Uman, and a second striking an open area starting a grass fire. Yes, Uman is famous for being the Jewish city where Hasidic Judaism was founded. Three Russian KH-59 guided air-to-surface missiles were launched at Mirgorod in the Poltava Oblast. Local officials reported there were no hits on civilians or critical infrastructure. There weren't any claims that the missiles were intercepted. In northern Ukraine, the border hromadas of Suma Oblast were battered. Russian forces conducted 39 fire missions, firing 286 artillery rounds, mortars, unguided air-to-surface rockets, drones, drone-delivered IEDs, rocket-propelled grenades and Grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems. In the Druzhba Hromada, a woman was injured and is in hospital after 21 Grad rockets struck the area. This happened on the same day Russian President Vladimir Putin said women and children shouldn't be attacked, in reference to the Israel-Hamas war. Let's talk about events that happened on the Russian front. Russian air defenses intercepted a drone over Belgorod, with debris crashing into a block of homes. Local officials initially claimed the debris was from an air defense missile and then claimed it was from the drone. Pictures showed a large fire and several homes completely destroyed. Three people were killed, including a child. In Gudavka, Bransk, two Russian conscripts were killed, and three more, along with a contract soldier, were wounded after their position was shelled by Ukrainian artillery. In the Kaluga region, a relay box was destroyed by partisans near the Fayansava station in the city of Kirov, holding train traffic. Investigators said there were clear signs of sabotage. 
In Moscow, a 19-year-old was arrested for placing a pig's head and cooked bacon on the monument of Ahmad Kadyrov, the father of aspiring dentist and Colonel General Ramzan Dundon Kadyrov. The man did it as a protest to the construction of a new mosque in Moscow, which has created tension among Russian Orthodox nationalists since the project was announced in February 2023. Currently, the man and his 15-year-old girlfriend, who was filming his protest, are not criminally charged. They could face vandalism charges. There is a lot to cover in theater-wide events, but first, a quick footnote. We are covering the Israel-Hamas war and have started situation reports available through our Patreon. $5 a month gets you in-depth information about the Russia-Ukraine and Israel-Hamas war. And now, on to theater-wide events. NATO Secretary-General Jens Stoltenberg said that all members of the alliance agreed that Ukraine would become a NATO member and agreed to cancel the membership action plan requirement. If you listen closely, you can hear Sweden saying, Oh, come on! Russia attacked Ukraine with 33 Shahid-136 kamikaze drones, with 28 shut down. We were able to account for two more in today's report. It is worth noting that the drones were launched from Crimea and the Belgorod area. And the damage in Belgorod is not consistent with any drone in the Ukrainian inventory. Russia? Did you go three for three and shoot down two airplanes and one of your drones in the last three weeks? An investigation has been opened into the conduct of the Lviv Military Registration Office, TCK. A video we reviewed yesterday showed a man being grabbed off the street, resisting men in military uniforms, and pushed into a yellow van. At least two people filmed the incident. It is alleged that he was given an overnight medical exam and immediately shipped to a military training ground in Rivne. Despite the public outrage, the Lviv Tetsaka said there was nothing that could be done, because the man had already been mobilized. The Tetsaka then backtracked, with the commissariat and police saying that a review had been scheduled. The Ministry of Defense of Ukraine plans to certify military education in accordance with NATO standards starting in September 2026. Volodymyr Mirnenko, director of the Department of Military Education and Science of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, said that an audit of the professional military education system with the participation of NATO advisors will be held in April 2025. The first steps to adopting NATO training standards started in September. OCS Director of Communications Captain Natalia Humenyuk said that Russia increased the range of the Lancet Kamikaze drone from 40 km to up to 70 km. On October 10, one of the new longer-range Lancets was used to destroy a Su-25 in Krivy Rih. The coordinator for strategic communications at the National Security Council in the White House, John Kirby, told reporters that, quote, time is not on our side, unquote, when it comes to additional military aid for Ukraine. He went on to say, 
we have enough financial authority to meet Ukraine's need on the battlefield for a little longer, but we need Congress to act to ensure continued support. The congressional gridlock is also impacting military aid for Israel, Taiwan and United States national security on the southern border. After the 15th Rammstein Working Group meeting in Brussels, multiple nations announced military aid packages for Ukraine. If I listed everything announced in today's podcast, you will probably pass out from boredom. The details are in the situation report. The United States announced a $200 million package using presidential drawdown authority that included a wide range of ammunition and explosives. The United Kingdom announced a military aid package of 115 million pounds, and Norway is providing 18.5 million euros for the mining equipment. In addition, the UK will provide Terrahawk Paladin anti-aircraft systems to protect critical infrastructure from drone attacks. Spain is transferring more Hawk air defense systems, and Lithuania is providing two more NASAMS anti-aircraft missile systems. Finland announced a 95 million euro aid package, but did not publicly share what's included. Canada has committed $25 million for winter uniforms and cold-weather equipment. The United States announced it would lead the coalition of countries that will provide F-16s and other aircraft to help Ukraine redevelop its air force. Secretary of Defense for the US Lloyd Austin said that F-16s could be operational by spring 2024, and Denmark plans to deliver the first F-16s to Ukraine around the same period. Defense Minister Trolls Lund Paulson said, quote, We expect that in March-April we will be able to transfer the first aid to Ukraine from combat aviation. But there is a lot of work to be done so that the Ukrainians will be able to deal with them in the places where they should stand. Unquote. He stressed that the coalition wanted to make sure not only that Ukraine could operate and sustain fighter aircraft, but also ensure they wouldn't be attacked on the ground by Russia. Belgium also announced that starting in 2025 they would supply Ukraine with F-16s. The United States also provided Ukraine with $1.15 billion grant for social benefits and government salaries. Finally, Belgium became the first country to take seized Russian assets and transfer them to Ukraine. In 2024, Ukraine will receive 1.7 billion euros for security and restoration assistance. And that's the critical news for today. Thank you for listening to The War Report. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.